listen to these crazy statistics on bees. Since 2007, the bee population has been declining at an alarming rate of about 2% each year. And then in the United States alone, commercial beekeepers have lost more than 1.2 million beehives since 2015. Now, this is crazy. There are only 36% of the population of honeybees that remain. And experts are estimating that bees will become extinct by 2035 if we don't start making changes to our habits right now. Hello, 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 listeners. I hope you're having a great day today. And welcome to Behind the Story with Chuck Tuck. Me, I'm your host, Chuck Tuck. And in today's podcast, we're going to have a conversation with Cheryl. Now, she is a rural, well, yeah, I guess we could say rural, a rural beekeeper. Not a rural, but a rural beekeeper. So she does live in a neighborhood, but she does have some property. So we're going to learn about how to uh, keep bees, uh, what the honey is all about, and all the benefits that bees provide to the ecosystem and to us. So I hope you enjoyed this podcast. And without further ado, let's get right into it. Alrighty. Well, um, I'm Cheryl. I am from Snohomish, Washington, live out in um, kind of the country area on an acre and a quarter. So we have done a lot of gardening um, over the years. We've been here about 20, 25 years. So I've always had a bit of a garden. My son um, in the last five years has, has turned into kind of a mini farm. And then we decided we wanted to keep, have bees to help with you know, the orchard, that little small orchard that we had. And just because we wanted to help nature. Um, bees are a dying breed, unfortunately. Um, and so we wanted to do our due diligence to help mother nature. And then um, I love to cook. I love to garden. Um, I love to stay fit. I will be 59 next month. Um, so I am, you know, trying to live my healthiest and happiest life right now. Married, we have two boys. My younger son, which is the gardener farmer, um, lives with us intermittently. He has a school bus that he's converting um, into his home. And so he eventually will be gone. And then our older son um, is married and they live in Kirkland. Uh, I'm a full-time registered nurse. I do home health. And um, I also love to bike, just got myself a new indoor cycle. So I'm super excited about that. And I think that's kind of me in a nutshell. All right. Well, you know, I'm going to ask you to come back to talk about fitness, because I know that that's something that you've really been uh, doing for, for a while, and you're a great motivator at that. But as far as bees go, you know, you've kind of answered some of the stuff that I was going to ask you. And one of the biggest questions, and I'm going to just kind of jump around is if you live in a rural area or if you live in a development, do you need a lot of land or anything like that to, to start getting into uh, becoming a beekeeper? No, you really don't. Um, the biggest thing that you need to do and you, and I still need to do this is you actually have to register your hives. Um, and that is something that you register them with whichever County that you're in. 
And it, number one, has a way of sort of protecting your hives from commercial spraying because they know that there's hives in the area if they have been registered. And it also gives you permission to be a beekeeper in your area. Um, so you can keep bees anywhere, but you kind of have to feel out your neighbors and depending on how close you are, um, you know, your neighbor, if someone is, has a really bad, you know, anaphylactic type reaction to bees, they're really not going to want to have you having bees living next to them, but it, people do it. And the most important thing, like I said, is to register your hives. If you have more than one, obviously, if you only have one small one, it's not quite as big of a deal, but if you have multiple hives, they really want you to register them. Mm -hmm. So no, you do not need a lot of space. Uh, they don't take up much room and flowers are everywhere. So uh, I, there is actually in downtown Seattle on top of roof, actually, no, I'm sorry, in New York on top of rooftops, there is a, an amazing beekeeper that I don't remember his name, but I've watched his YouTubes and um, he is keeping, he has this huge beehive structure area on top of buildings in New York. And you would never think that hives would survive in downtown New York, but flowers are everywhere and bees will travel quite a way to find them. So, you know, there's a couple of things about bees that I always kind of loosely equate them to as one is ladybugs because ladybugs also play a very important part in the garden and the ecosystem and stuff like that. Uh, but the other is sharks. And the reason I say sharks is because, you know, sharks really, I know I'm going to get some crap for this, but sharks really don't attack a whole lot of people if you take in the, the numbers of uh, people that are in the waters and stuff like that. But because of certain movies and other documentary type of things where they show sharks just devouring this, whatever it is that they throw into the water because they got these teeth, I equate bees to that because people say bees sting you, stingers, they're dangerous. And you see people just out there trying to kill bees all the time mm -hmm. um so there are a lot of different breeds or types of bees and not all of them are bad but i guess not all of them are uh also honeybees right so they're right. okay right um there uh, bees that we get that we that people have apiaries that that um not grow isn't the word i want to think of but people that keep bees beekeepers we're called we're called beaks if you the short name of us and um there is only one type of honeybee but there are lots of other kinds of flying insects like bees that have stingers yellow jackets um uh, there is a really nasty um hornet that's around not the big japanese china that big scary one but there's another hornet that's around our area that um, very they're very destructive to bees. But yellow jackets kind of get clumped up and bees get clumped into the whole yellow jacket bee kind of thing. And bees really won't sting you unless you're bothering them. Um, I get them on my hand. And if I'm not, if I'm not aggressive and if I'm not bothering them, if I'm not um, mucking around in the hive, they're very docile and 
they will be very calm. It just depends on what you're doing to them. Um, but they will sting you if you're bugging them and they don't sting you out of no reason. Like a yellow jacket will sting you for no reason. They're just mm. nasty. Um, but honeybees are, they are a beautiful creature and they really, um, they all, I have been only stung a couple of times. And when we get stung, it's usually because we're doing something in the hive. We're bothering them and they don't like it. And a lot of times it's accidental. So do you get all suited up in the, uh, the white bee costume and you know, yes, the, I do. The, I, yeah. I put my, I do a full white. I do. And I'll tell you why it's white. Um, I do a complete suit and the hood and my veil and everything. My mentor who actually is the owner of Snohomish beekeep, beekeepers shop, beekeeping shop. Um, he only wears um, a long sleeve, heavier jacket and his veil, his hood and veil. Um, he doesn't put anything. He just wears jeans. And a lot of beekeepers do that. Um, generally, it's your arms that you want to protect. So at least have a jacket on and your, and your um, veil. But I made the mistake one time of not putting on my suit. And I walked up to the hive with a black jacket on. And I got stung. And black, they will actually see that. And black is an aggressive form and they don't like it and they will sense some emergency and sense fear and black is just not a good color to wear when you're keeping when you're doing anything in your hide that's why you see the white bee suits um, because it's non-threatening but black is like a big creature walking up to them that's not that's scary okay interesting yeah I've always I didn't wondered. know that <laughs> yeah I've always wondered because you know, you see these TV programs or whatever, and they're always in white. It's uh -huh. all in white. So, That's all right. Fine. So that answers that. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, some of the other things uh, I think that might be interesting for people to know is, is it expensive to get into beekeeping or being a, a beak or whatever? You yeah. Yes. Initially, it is expensive. Um, it can range up to a couple of thousand dollars to get your setup. Once you've been set up, really the expense really slows down um, unless you're needing to add more hives, more boxes, um, then it gets to be expensive. Uh, you can do it inexpensively by making your own. You can buy kits and putting it all together. Um, it's kind of just a tongue and groove, um, you know, pieces of wood that you stick together and nail and all that. And it's a little bit cheaper to do it that way, but Generally, um, a lot of beekeepers don't do that and they purchase them all put together. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's not a cheap hobby by any means. Yeah. Um, but once you get your setup, um, it's a little bit of expense throughout the year, every year that you have of th different things that you have to buy to maintain your hive. So aside from like benefits uh, to the garden uh, and stuff like that, <clears throat> and, and to me, at least to the ecology, uh, uh, to everything in the world, bees, just like frogs, bees, frogs, ladybugs, if frogs are gone, you know, something's up, but ladybugs and everything. Um, what's, what's the benefit that you reap out of um, 
having bees in your yard? Uh, do you get do you get great delicious honey? Does it help your garden? What is it that mm-hmm. people can benefit from it? Um, number one, it's they are pollinators, and so um, they help you if you've got fruit trees. They're going to help pollinate that fruit, those fruit trees, and help you have a really great crop. Uh, any of your flowers in your garden love to be pollinated, love to um, have that exchange. Your watermelon, anything with the flower that you're, any fruits, zucchini, um, any squashes, anything like that that has a flower that that's where the fruit comes from. Bees are, they love pumpkin and squash flowers. And so if you, don't have bees. A lot of a lot of times, um, farmers have to self-pollinate their squash and stuff, and with little Q-tips, and you got to get in there and do all that. Really? But you know, with bees, and if they're out and there, you've got a really healthy hive. They're going to help pollinate all that. And then, of course, we get honey. Um, this year, we only got about two and a half gallons of probably. I would almost bet that it's blackberry um, honey because we have a big area of um, natural around us that's all blackberry bushes Mm. and brambles. And so it was um, that first harvest that we did in the late summer was probably blackberry. Generally, there's a what we call second flow that happens around the Pacific Northwest, and it's usually knotweed. And knotweed is a non-native invasive plant that we have growing along a lot of our rivers and along the highways and it's just like a grass with a white kind of flower on it and the bees love it and usually you will get a second flow of honey um, in the late like now we, we would be harvesting more and my hives are relatively young and they were doing a lot of storing of honey and didn't actually put it in what we call the honey super which is a smaller box with smaller frames for them to bring the extra honey to. So what they were mainly doing with that second flow of honey was getting the hive ready for the winter and giving it, putting the stores down into the boxes where the brood, which are the babies and the larvae, where those are to be able to feed them and keep them healthy over the winter. So, and to feed themselves because they kind of go dormant. They're not out, you know, when we have snow and stuff, they got to have something to eat. And so they eat off of those stores that they bring in. Okay. Yeah. Cause I, I was wondering if, if it's, if it's harmful, if we take all the honey away, you know, that they've harvested. So it's like, Oh, they got brought me honey. I'm going to take it all. So that's, that's a no, no then. Right. That, that is a no, no. You, you have um, what's called the, the, like I said, the honey super is a smaller Um, box that goes on top of your hives and the hives are the bigger boxes Mm -hmm. that's where they do all the work that's where all the egg making and the all the stuff gets happening in those bottom boxes and that top box is just for them to bring in to come in and bring in and make that and make the honey basically bring in the the nectar and make that honey that's kind of extra that it it's kind of their gift to us Um, and it's okay to take that but you don't want to take the stuff that's in the bigger boxes because that's that's their food. That's what they're going to live off of. Dang, bees actually sound pretty smart. I mean, if we're setting these boxes out there just with little different levels or whatever it is, and they know how to come in and make a hive, and they know, hey, this little top shelf is where I I give my extra. 
Yes, and exactly. The rest they, is for me. They are amazingly cool. smart, which is what we don't understand and why they're so important. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, like, I don't know anything about bees. However, you know, as a child, I had an interest in them. I got stung 27 times at one time at once. I stepped in one of those um, oh. hives that was in a, uh, a rotted out log. Yeah. So I did not blame the bees. But you see all these programs where they ha- bees have certain dance for, I don't know if it's mating, but then you could take a bee and move something someplace, but they always know where to go back to, kind of like salmon spawning. They go yep. back to where they were born kind of thing. Mm-hmm. They, that, that is exactly what they do. Um, they actually have a, it's called the wiggle dance. And <laughs> when they come back to the hive, that is the, when the workers come back to the hive and they're also different, different um, types, different job related bees. And I'll tell you that in a minute, but when the workers come back, um, they do a wiggle dance. And that wiggle dance is basically a GPS signal to tell the other bees where they found the pollen, where, where to go hunt. And so when they come back and it's very fun, you can Google wiggle, bee wiggle dance, and it's very fun to watch. Um, Bees have other distinctive things that they do. If there are worker bees and there are guard bees, the guard bees they do exactly what their name is. That's what they do. They will, um, at the bottom of your box where they enter in and out, um, the guard bees are usually down there and they are protecting the hive. And if they sense danger or they sense you coming up to the hive, they will back up, put their butts out to the entrance of the hive and line up. Hmm. And they are, that's a defense mechanism. And they'll do the same thing. If you're looking down into the hive at the frames, you will see a whole row of their heads lined up looking at you going, okay, what are you doing? And so you'll look in there and see a whole row of these little heads sticking out, looking at you. And those are the guard bees. And then you have nurse bees that take care of the brood. And you have the queen who is the most important creature of all. And you have drones, which are basically the bees that mate with the queen and this time of year the drones are pretty much gone they kick them out of the hive because they don't need them anymore they don't need them mating and the worker bees either kill them or kick them out of the hive and then they now there are there will be at in the spring they will the, the queen does an amazing thing and she will lay drone eggs because she needs drones to be able to breed. And so it's an amazing creature because she knows what to lay based on what the hive, when you look at a, when you look at a hive, let me show you a picture if I can see. When you look at a comb, this would be what a normal comb would look like Mm -hmm. where she would lay regular eggs and regular worker bees if the hive said no we need some more drones they would make these there would be clusters of these that would be a little bit bigger and off shape and the queen when she's walking across the comb she can feel that with her front legs 
that the hole is bigger. This hole is bigger than this other hole. So I'm going to lay a drone in that hole, but I'm going to lay a worker bee in the other hole. That's pretty freaking amazing to me. Uh, yeah. That I guess she knows how to do that based on the size of the hole. I guess the female species all around is pretty amazing, right? They are pretty amazing. And when she mates, it's in flight with the drone. And unfortunately, um, the drone basically gets de-gutted because mm -hmm. his little doodad gets stuck and it gets pulled out. And so he dies. So wow. he's got a, it, but he, he's got a purpose. The one and done. One and done. <laughs> that's pretty much it one and done wow all right and these are amazing yeah they are it's pretty fascinating and the thing where you said about them finding their way back my son actually believes in that and a lot of beekeepers do too where um my son has rocks certain a certain rock that's on top of both the hives just to keep the lid from getting knocked off by a creature or something and he we believe and beekeepers believe that the bees recognize that they know that this is their hive because they recognize that rock that's on top of their hive um or if you have them painted a certain color or something bees your bees know where your hives are hmm. um they also if you have bees that aren't from your hive come along they will generally shoo them away um if they are not if there are different types of bees. There are Italian bees. There's about three different types of bees that you can actually keep. And ours are Italian, but there's two other names, Carolian, and I can't think what the other name is. But some, the, some of the bees are a little bit different color and a little bit different size. And if, you're, if they are not the type of bees that are in your hive, your bees will kick them out. So, you know, when you get started, what do you do? Go out and go to the store and like goldfish and pick them out? Or, and so do you get like this uh, uh, partially made hive type of thing and it's full of bees or larvae or eggs or whatever and yep. start like that? There's two different ways you can do it. There's one that's called a package and it's basically an, a box um, with screen on one side of it and a hole in the mental, middle and there's a can full of sugar water and a little cotton plug. And that's what they eat off of those. There's about 3000 bees in one of those boxes. There's also a queen that is in a little tiny cage that is in that box that has been introduced to that hive. And they are feeding her through the side little, there's a little um, screen and they're feeding her to keep her alive. They're getting used to her pheromones. They're getting used to her. Snohomish bees, uh, most of their bees come from California. So on bee pickup day, there's usually two days in, in the early spring and then a little bit later on in the spring. Big semi comes and there's hundreds of these boxes of bees in a box. And you pick up your box, you have your hive with your little, with your frames in it, and you take that can out, 
and you shake those bees down into your hive. Mm. And that's how you start. There is another way that's called a nuke. And that is kind of what you mentioned where you're, you're buying a partially made, already made hive where they've got the frames, they've got the bees, the queen is, is been, has been introduced, but then you just take those frames and put them in your boxes. But um, we've always done the package style and it's gone really well. And um, they've, they've always done really well. I hope you're starting to realize the importance of having bees in our ecosystem. And I hope this has been of interest. So we're going to come back in just a minute after this short break. And she's going to answer some questions as far as how long do bees last? How long do queens last? Are they generational or, you know, do you have to replace them? So we'll come back right after this message. Do you know when you when you are a beekeeper and you have your hive, is do they mature, die off, and then you got to replace them every couple of two, three years type of situation? Or how does that work? Is, is it a generational thing? And it is a generational thing. Your queen only lasts for so many years, but when she starts to not produce well, and you can tell that because all of a sudden the egg production gets really low. Um, the hive will do their diligence and start to get her to grow another queen. Mm. And they'll, they'll, in their little queen world and their little hive world will make her make a queen knowing that she's old and not doing well. And then you either remove her or they usually, they will remove her and they'll kill her if a new queen emerges. Um, and so that, that's kind of what you have to watch, but it is generational and you can have a hive last for a long, long time, but it's generational because they are replacing themselves. The drones are replacing themselves and they replace themselves every few years and the queen replaces, she gets replaced or you have to replace her um, every few years. And so, this is really fascinating. Yeah, it's uh, pretty cool. So I'm just going to say, I don't know how large hives are, but say if it's a 24 by 24 inch type of thing, is that super small Um, or square? Or is that about average-ish? Yeah, they're about, that's probably about right, 24 by 24. And you usually have about a good healthy hive to survive the winter needs to be about 10,000 bees, which is a Um, lot. Um. And I, I don't know where you were going with that question, but. Exactly where you went. It, okay. It's just that. Now I could just see, like you said, depending on where you live, if you're not on an acre situation, if you're in a uh, neighborhood association and all of a sudden people see 10,000 bees just swarm, they probably all panic, right? Yes. And bees will swarm. And that's, beekeepers don't like that when that happens. Huh? Um, but they will swarm and you will lose a whole hive, uh, the majority of it. And they usually swarm for a reason. They swarm because the queen is gone. Um, the hive is sick. They're too crowded. Mm. Um, and they'll just swarm. And some, if you're lucky, you might find them in a tree in your yard and you might be able to catch them. Um, or you look on the internet and 
there a, a lot of times, and we had a lot of swarms this year in Snohomish County. Um, people were finding whole clusters of high of bees in grocery carts, in trees in parks, um, in eaves of homes. And so um, then you just go and you take an empty box and you try to capture them. Um, you can break off the branch and you can drop them down into the box or there's a number of different ways that you can capture a hive, but um, you don't want it. You don't want your hive, your hive to swarm because then you have to start all over. You know, so I guess here's one thing that people should know and, and really take into consideration is since so many people out there just put bees in one category is they're all bees are all bad. And they don't know what one is from the other, uh, even from a wasp to a hornet to a, a honeybee. If you see a large hive, don't just take a can and lighter and just burn it down. Don't do that. Don't whack it down. Don't destroy it. Really take the time to call a bee expert to have them remove it. Because even if it costs you a little bit of money, you're actually putting it into the environment. You're, you're not destroying. You're, you're doing a disservice if you're just out there to destroy things. Exactly. So correct. We are, we actually, um, Snohomish Bees actually has a um, hive, a, a swarm hotline, basically, and, and, or if you're in a beekeeping group, or you can throw it onto Facebook and say, I just found a swarm, and you will generally get somebody that will message you and say, um, call so-and-so, they'll come and get it. I had the opportunity to try to get a swarm this year, but I didn't have enough, I didn't have enough hives empty hives to do it. Um, but there are plenty of people that will come and help. Please don't spray them. Um, uh, that's like most now if they're yellow, let somebody come and look at them. If you really don't know what they are, let someone that knows what they're doing, come look at them. If they're yellow jackets, they're going to be in one of those, um, paper kind of wasp hives. That's mm -hmm. a yellow jacket. Bees don't make hives like that. Um, bees, bees will get into a crack in the wall or, you know, someplace like that and build people have, my parents had a whole hive in their roof and it actually had honey in it, which was pretty oh. cool. Um, but you have bumblebees that also will nest. I just, I had a friend that they had a whole bumblebee nest under their deck. And she didn't know what to do with them because bumblebees don't do anything. They're not, I mean, they, they, they pollinate, but they're, they're, they don't make honey or do anything like that. Mm -hmm. They're not harmful. Bumblebees are so docile and gentle, but beekeep, we don't want them. Beekeepers won't, they won't come rescue them because there's, they'll just say cap it off or, you know, they'll eventually go away. Um, but I know people don't like bumblebees when they've got little kids and they don't want them around um, because they don't want them to get stung because you can still get stung by a bumblebee. But um, please, yeah, don't let call someone and let them come and determine what it is and determine a safe removal. And on that note, with the whole please don't kill a hive. When I, I will get on my soapbox when you're when you give me permission. <laughs> Go ahead, jump on it right now. <laughs> um, I will tell you that Roundup, which is not illegal yet here in the U.S., it is in many other countries. 
that's Roundup, that's Seven, that's any kind of weed um, killer will kill a whole hive. Um, I had that happen last year. We weren't, we're not really sure if it was a chemical induced death or not, but it was probably a good contribution. Mm -hmm. Um, And so when people use Roundup on their yards or Roundup in their gravel, or they use weed and feed because they don't want to have clover and they don't want to have dandelions in their yard, just remember that the bees feed off of those flowers. And when you have sprayed them, they take that chemical on them back to the hive, spread it throughout the hive, and you will kill them. Wow. And okay. It is the most devastating thing to be watching your bees coming out of the, the front door and just falling out I, in buckets on the ground. It, and so. All right. So I never thought about that, but you're absolutely right. Because even in the wild where you're talking about, oh, setting out poison for, for mice, rats, whatever it is. And then you have the owl eat it and the owl gets sick. And then you have, uh, um, gosh, some other, like a raptor type of bird or something, eat, eat that. Well, then they end up getting poisoned too. So this is the same thing. You're putting poison in your grass or on your flowers. And then the bee sucks it up because it's pollinating takes it back to the hive and feeds it to everybody else mm-hmm. that's okay. exact that's exactly what happens and they basically when when you see a chemical death um if you look very closely at a bee um they actually have a tongue and when they have died and their tongue is sticking out uh that is what we believe is they have suffocated And so that's what happens. And it's, it's really sad and it's devastating to be scooping up. I last year, it was a five gallon bucket Mm, and, and it's devastating. And cause they're like your pets. Um, a, a beekeeper gets very attached to, cause they know what, how important they are. And so we have signs around our yard. We have a sign at the end of our private driveway that there are bees in the area. A lot of beekeepers do that. Um, and we'll put signs up in the area that says that asks you, please don't spray. Um, I actually called the county um, when I lost all my bees. And I said, you know, I know it's blackberry season. Are you guys spraying alongside the roads? Because you'll see the county truck spraying. And they say that they use something that's safe and they don't spray during blackberry bloom. Okay. I hope, um, they, I hope that's for real, but. Yeah. So I guess now um, really we need to find something that's going to be um, natural. That's going to get rid of weeds uh, that are in yards and stuff like that. Yes. And you can use, you can use salt and vinegar and Dawn dishwashing soap. Um, that is a very natural weed killer that won't hurt anything and it works pretty darn good. Um, or you can just let your grass be beautiful and full of clover and dandelions and, or hand pick, hand pick them out. I know that's not what manicured lawns, you know, want to look like, but, um, well, I was going to say not if you're in a a home association, they're going to look at that yard and go, you're fine. Exactly. And that's 
that's what makes it hard. Um, and yeah. we get a lot of that discussion in our beekeeping groups as I, you know, I live in a neighborhood where my HOA won't let me have, they want me to keep all the dandelions out of my yard. And what do I do? And it's like, well, you're going to have to handpick them because please don't spray. Yeah. And you know, when you're out there handpicking, it's kind of therapeutic anyhow. So yeah. it's like mowing the lawn, you right? Get those little sticker things that pick them out and, yeah. you know, as long as you get to them before they explode and send out more seed, yes. if you get a good handle on it. So I want to throw something out there. So what Cheryl just said, you know, they're just like your pets. She's not crazy. <laughs> Especially when she says, you know, I put the signs out. It's, it's the same thing. People that have dogs, you see, beware of dogs. So I guess it's, it's kind of the same. You get attached to this. People get attached to their, I have a pond with all my goldfish and, you know, I, I had the, um, the other more expensive kinds, but the darn herring. The, they the like the koi, all. don't they? <laughs> yes. Yeah. I'd forgotten the name of it. Koi. And I even went to the, uh, the, um, like a koi goldfish breed. So they're a little bit cheaper, but nah, I stuck with the goldfish. Yeah. The herons don't like those as much as the koi do. I, I think they like those koi. They have survived. And I think the only reason I'm missing a few is it could be some raccoons or something mm -hmm. like that. I'm not sure because my water level got a little bit high uh, during the rain season or if I changed water and added and forgot to take extra water out. They come a little bit closer to the top. Yeah. But, you know, this is really all very, very fascinating with bees. And I, gosh, we really didn't even touch on the... Um, how helpful they are to the environment. I mean, we, we kind of talked on the small scale of you know, the flowers and your garden and stuff like that. Uh, it, do you know, or can you touch a little bit on really how important it is? Is there like a, I, I kept on saying ecosystem. So one feeds one thing, another feeds another or whatever it might be. I mean, in the large well, grand scheme of things. In the large, grand, yeah. In the large grand scheme of things, think of our wheat. Think of our corn. Think of the things that are massly growing in any kind of orchard or crop or anything like that. That all needs to be pollinated. If we don't have bees that are out there doing their job, then we are going to lose crops. We are going to not have production in our orchards. Um, we have the almond orchards down in California. They purposely have beekeepers come in and bring hives during bloom so that they will get good almond production. Mm. And so, you know, farmers depend on bees just as much as we do because we need the farmers to produce the food for us. And so it's very important. And there's medicinal value for bees too. I mean, not only just the honey, but um, there's a very interesting, very interesting um, process, and please don't go out and do this by yourself, but um, actual venom, bee venom is good for arthritis. And there are certain practitioners in the area that will actually treat their patients with bee Full venom, sting. with a purposeful sting. And even my <laughs> Snohomish bees will get a call and it's usually in the wintertime when we all have achy joints because now it's cold and stuff. They'll get a call and say, can I come get some bees and 
they're like, no, you're not going to get bees just so that you can sting your joints, you know, but it, it is, it's, there is medicinal value to some of what they do as well. Wow. Yeah. And I guess, you know, speaking of the, uh, the medicinal uses or purposes and uh, like you said, the pollinating for farms, not just a small backyard, not just for flowers and things like that. Um, you're right. I mean, if it helps food grow, we all need food. Mm-hmm. So if the bees are gone and there's less food, there's less of something else. So keep the bees happy, keep yes. them alive. And I, whenever I go out and buy honey, I try to find local honey myself. Yes. And I know that there's different, they taste different, depends on which kind I get. And there's mm-hmm. certain ones that I like and don't like. Some are just way too sweet tasting. But um, I like getting the raw unfiltered. Yep. So that there's more benefit to that, right? When it's mm-hmm. raw. And yes. Unfiltered. The raw unpasteurized, which is what we do, um, is the best for you because it's going to help you with your allergy. It can help you with allergies because you're basically immunizing yourself with the pollen that they brought that's in your area. And so it actually is beneficial for people to use. You can buy that bee pollen. If you've Mm -hmm. ever seen that the bee pollen, it's like little yellow nuggets um, you'll always want to buy that from an area that's in your, from a shop or a s- supplier that lives in your area, because that means it's pollen from your area. Um, you wouldn't want to buy it from some, you know, fact beekeeper in Georgia, cause they got different flowers than we do. Um, but, uh, yes, the raw unpasteurized honey is the best. You generally don't get that in the store it's been cooked down uh, added crap and whatever to it um and the thing with the unpasteurized you can't infants and the elderly um are not supposed to use raw unpasteurized honey because there's no preservatives in it unfortunately <laughs> um and so it it might not be safe for them especially okay. infants and so, you know, people, people, usually moms know that, that they can't give their babies raw honey, but okay, um, it's the best, it's the best tasting. And yes, they all taste different. You can have jars of honey that will be all different colors, depending on what kind of flower was being used that, that in that hive, what, what were they bringing in? Like I said, the knotweed is a very clear honey, generally blackberry is usually a darker honey. So we're not talking, oh, cinnamon flavored or this and that. We're not talking that. It's all natural from the flower that uh, they pollinated. So it can really differ from region to region, even -hmm. even within the state, right? Yeah. And like you said earlier, depends on even the time of the year. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yep. And you can flavor honey. I mean, there's beekeepers that... um, but it's not natural, is it? It it is depending on what you're doing with it. Oh. Um, if you are using, there are beekeepers that make um, medicinal. <laughs> I gotcha. Medicinal honey, and that is raw honey um, that you put bud in and let it steep, basically, and then you filter that out. 
you run it, you run it through a filter and then you have medicinal honey. So if you see a bee doing flips and not the figure eight, <laughs> you know, that that bee is a, a medicinal bee. <laughs> yeah. It, yeah. Um, but there are there in some, in like Africa or someplace, there is an actual flower that they, and I, I it's not the rhododendron, but there's some flower that um, it actually is a medicine. They it's get high honey. Um, and they, it, it, that they bees make it that way because of what they're getting the, what they're pollinated from. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's very, the, the natives in, I, I want to say Africa, I can't think where it's at, but anyways, it is, it is get high honey. Um, and it's made by nature, but you can make that kind of honey. You can add, you know, cinnamon and things like that, like you said, but, um, if you want the best, just have it raw, unpasteurized and add your own stuff if you want to add something to it. But Shoot, this is really good information. I mean, is there anything else that you could really think of as far as letting people know about bees? It's, I, I, I guess a takeaway for me is they're not going to bother you, especially if they're honeybees, bumblebees, unless you're bothering them. Mm-hmm. And then the other one that I take away from this that you were talking about too is please don't go out there and destroy a hive just because you think it's something. Uh, if you don't know for sure, make sure you either post it on your social media. Somebody might be able to lead you in the right direction or look it up online to find a, a local beekeeper mm-hmm. and maybe they can help you. Don't go out and get a, a pest person to come out and destroy it because I'm going to guess that most of them don't even know they just come out there and they get you to pay the money and they'll destroy it and i would hope to god that they don't but you know what it's all about the buck so Mm -hmm. who knows what they would do um i did have a hornet problem a yellow jacket problem and i knew they were yellow jackets and so yes i did call an exterminator but um i knew they were yellow jackets and he was very cautious about how he took care of them because he knew we had bees too um, there is one other kind of bee, um, because you, you did ask about other types of bees besides the bumblebee, we have orchard, orchard mason bees, and they do not produce honey, um, people, anyone, and you can go to cute little hardware stores or the garden centers or whatever in the spring, and you can ask them if they have orchard mason bees, and they have little hives that are little boxes with holes in them. Or if you've ever seen in the hardware stores or the garden centers where they've had these like strange looking boxes with little wooden tubes um, of different sizes and things in them, those are for your orchard mason bees. And they are a pollinator. They are a massive pollinator. Um, They move faster, they are smaller, they have more fur on them. And so they are able to collect lots of pollen and that's what, that's why they're called mace orchard bees, orchard mason bees, because they go around and pollinate everything and they are not harmful. They do not sting. Um, They look like a, almost like a little black fly, but they're not. Okay. And they will, if you have any like little wooden, any openings or any little screw holes um, that, you know, you have a deep set screw in or anything on your deck that is a little hole of 
any type and you've got any orchard mason bees in your area, they will actually pack that full of eggs and cap it off with dirt. And you'll wonder what, what happened? What, what is that? And that's what they like to do. So, um, but they're fun to keep because they don't do anything. They don't sting. They don't, they don't hurt anything. And, and anybody can do that. Anybody can have those. So, okay. I, I guess that's the other takeaway for me too, then is that, um, there are so many different types of bees that'll help pollinate. Just mm-hmm. don't look at bees as saying, Oh, a good bee, a bad bee, a good bee is a bee that produces honey for me. That's not true. Bees need, uh, plants need pollination, mm-hmm. um, to be fruitful, no pun intended. Yes. Uh, but so bees are very, very helpful. Yeah. All right. Well, I mean, I've got a wealth of information for me on this today. Awesome. This is, this is really good. And, you know, it is a really important topic and subject to think for people to know about bees and how helpful they are to, to us and mm-hmm. to our plants and flowers. Yep. And we have like, like you want to kind of know how many I, we have two hives right now. Um, I have a very, very strong hive that has a rock star queen in it that she has been amazing. I have a smaller hive that has struggled since the get-go um, we've been through two queens. We've lost a whole bunch of bees two weeks ago. Um, and we're really working hard to try to get that hive up to winter ready. And we need it to be about 10,000 bees, like I said, to be able to have them be a big enough cluster in the winter time, which is what they do is they cluster in a big clump in the center of the hive um, to stay warm. And to protect the queen, keep her warm, keep the eggs warm that are still in there. If in a week or two, I think, if the weather will cooperate, if that hive is not big enough to survive, we will take everybody in, put it in the bigger hive, in another box, let that whole hive be one big happy family. But unfortunately, you can't have two queens in one hive. So Priscilla... Priscilla will have to have her demise and I am not doing it. I'm making my mentor do it because I said, I can't, I'm not doing it. And he's like, I know, I know you're so kind, but this is what happens sometimes. I'm like, okay, so I am just doing everything I can to make that hive be big enough for in another week. (laughs) <laughs> but is she salvageable though meaning that if you took it no because she's attached that, to that box that hive she's attached to that hive and you can't have two queens they will kill each other one will kill the other so oh, you um, gotta it, go. so she's just gonna have to it's called pinching the queen and it's exactly what you do and it's like yeah no <laughs> but you feed them I, I one more thing you do feed them like you feed hummingbirds um through the summer, when the bloom is gone, you start to feed them sugar water. Okay. And so in the very top of the hive, I have four jars with little tiny pinholes in them upside down. And the bees come up and drink that sugar. And um, then now the sugar is a more concentrated. It's a two to one instead of a one to one. So it's real syrupy. And because you need them to get fat. And you need them to have a lot of stores. And so they take that sugar water and they're putting, putting it away for the winter. 
Um, and then in the winter time, we also can feed them just raw sugar that you put paper down on the top of your frame, uh, newspaper or tissue paper, sprinkle a bunch of just white, plain white sugar on that. It will get into like a cake and they will eat off of that in the winter time. All right. So now you've got me asking you one more question then. So if, if people live in an area where there is an HOA or, you know, you're so close together, but they want to help, can they do something like that? Can they set out, don't make it a beat trap, set it out to where you've got your one-to-one or two-to-one uh, concentrate, but don't, I'm thinking this now, don't have it this way or People who are listening can't see this, but don't have the opening up open with liquids in because if the beef goes in there, it could fall in and drown, right? So you're going to have to find some way to suspend it and have holes on the bottom or something like that. I'll tell you how you can do that. If you awesome. want to feed bees the, because you maybe notice them around your neighborhood, you maybe there is somebody that's close by that's got bees or you just want to be nice, a um, pipe, pie tin any kind of a flat dish, a bunch of rocks or the pretty marbles or whatever with your one-to-one sugar water in there. Yes, unfortunately, you'll probably attract the hornet, the yellow jackets, but you it depends on if you have them in your area, but you they need something to be able to stand on. So as long as you've got little rocks or something in that sugar water, Um, and don't make it like a big, huge thing of it, but, (laughs) um, a little bit of something for them to stand on and they'll they'll do okay. And they'll be able to drink off of that. All right. That, that is good. You can feed the bees just like you do hummingbirds, but you have to do it a little differently. (laughs) I am going to do that. And if the neighbors peer over the fence, look into my yard and they see a half a dozen or a dozen of these um, posts with little silver pie tins. They're going to think I'm trying to signal the aliens. It's not that. I am actually feeding bees. They so, really like watermelon too. Okay. Um, shoot, this has really been great. Uh, again, I found it to be very, very, very informative. Awesome. Uh, there's a lot of things I learned. And now there are a lot of things I'm going to do. And you've given me one more reason to get out of a HOA and housing development and move someplace where I've got a little bit of space between me. Yes, it's very fun and very rewarding when you get to have some fresh honey. Dang. Well, Cheryl, thank you very much for taking the time, you know, to do the podcast and letting everybody know about bees. And I'm serious about having you back on maybe next month because we're right into that Thanksgiving, Christmas holiday time and everybody's going to be feasting and we're going to be eating a lot of sugars and food. And again, you are the fitness queen. (laughs) Well, thank you. I would love to to chat more on that subject. Awesome. Well, thank you very much again. You're very welcome. And I hope it was helpful and educational and You know where to find me if anybody has questions. Yeah. I don't know about you, but that was really educational. And I learned a lot about bees. So definitely, I'm going to at least set out those silver pie tins and help the bees. So that way, hopefully, my flower garden is going to be really good next year. So now I want to say thank you. Thank you for listening to the podcast. Thank you for always coming back. And if you're a subscriber, thank you very much. 
If you're not currently a subscriber, please consider subscribing. And also, if you wouldn't mind, leave a comment and rate the podcast. Be generous. All of these things help with the algorithms to make this podcast grow and to let others know that the podcast is here. So until next time, my name's Chuck Tuck, and I'm the host of Behind the Story with Chuck Tuck. So long.